Well, today we're going to turn over to Acts 18. So Acts 18, of course, the last few weeks we've been in Acts 17. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul has been in the city of Athens. And we look there at what all happened to Paul in the city of Athens. And I've kind of told you that Athens is kind of the cultural epicenter of the world at that time, where all the philosophy and different ideas came from. And so Paul preached there. He preached at what's called Mars Hill, but basically he just preached in front of a panel who kind of decided truth. And so he preached there, and some people were saved, and some people were not saved. And guess what happens when we preach the gospel and share the gospel? The same thing. Some people are saved, some people aren't saved. That is just reality, and you're going to see that all the way through the book of Acts, and you're going to see it today, even in Acts chapter 18. So Paul spent some time there in Athens, and now in Acts chapter 18, he is going to go to another city in Greece that is a very, very important city there and prominent city in the Roman Empire and in the world of its day called Corinth. And so he's going to sail to Corinth, which is about 50 miles from Athens, so it's not that far, but in Paul's day, it's a pretty good little trek. And so he's going to sail to Corinth, and there we're going to see what happens to him. Now at this point, he is still by himself. So remember in Acts 16, he was in Berea, and he got chased out of Berea. Basically, they got him out in the middle of the night so that he wouldn't die. And so his traveling companions that were with him, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, stayed behind while Paul went to the city of Athens. And he was alone in Athens. And so he did everything he did in Athens. And even now in Corinth, he's going to be alone for a little while. But then Silas, uh, Timothy, and Luke are going to join him there. And so let me just give you a little bit of detail because this is going to be very important as we read about Corinth. But just so you know what Corinth was and how important it was to the Roman Empire, it was kind of the economical center of the Roman Empire. So huge, huge economy there because it was a port city, and it actually had two very massive ports in Corinth, and the two ports were separated by a little strip of land, but they had two huge ports where ships from all over the world would come in, and there they would trade. And so it was a city of about 500,000 people, so Athens, remember, was only about 10,000 people. Corinth's about 500,000 people. Now, 200,000 of those would have been slaves. And so it's a lot of people. It's a metropolitan-type area and community. There would have been people living in Corinth from Greece, from Italy, from Rome, from Africa, from Asia. There are Jews there. We know that because there's a synagogue there. So there are people from all over the world living in Corinth because it's on a major trade route and people all over the world come there, stop, trade. And so tons of money, tons of clout, just uh, kind of like maybe what New York City would have been to the U.S. It would have kind of been like that. And so another thing just to really know about Corinth, and this will probably make sense if you've ever read First or Second Corinthians. Uh, it was a very, very immoral city, and so one of the things that dominated the city of Corinth was a temple, and it was the temple of a Daphrodite, and of course, who I mean, we call her the goddess of love, but it's really she's the goddess of sex, is what she is. It's the goddess of sensuality. And so they had a temple that basically set above the city and everybody in the city looked up to that temple and that was her temple. And just the worship of Aphrodite permeated the city so much that there were what would we would probably call cultic prostitutes 
that basically their form of worship for her was prostitution. I mean, you think about who she was in their mind, and she's the goddess of sex. So what would come out of that? Well, prostitution would come out of that. Pornography would come out of that. I mean, all kinds of lust and sensuality and different things. So basically what would happen, the way these prostitutes would worship is they would go to the temple at night and they would worship and then they would come out and they would go into the city and they would do their job. And that was part of their worship. And of course, the money, what do you think they would do with the money? They would take it back to the temple. And so just think about a city like that. I mean, this is Las Vegas on steroids. And so, I mean, it's, it really is. I mean, we don't think about it, but it is. And I mean, you got sailors from all over the world coming in, and they get paid very well for what they do. And so just think about the money, think about the immorality, think about the things that come out of that. Okay, now think about it from a gospel perspective with the Apostle Paul. Now, do you see a contrast here? Okay, pretty big contrast and contradiction between the gospel and their form of worship. I mean, this would be the form of worship for the city. Okay, so basically their form of worship is, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do what makes you happy. You can do what makes you feel good. And so Paul comes in with a message, and what's Paul's message? Deny yourself and pick up a cross and carry it daily. Well, that don't sound too good when you got another message, right? That's a pretty contradictory statement. And so he's going into a very, very, very difficult place to share the truth of God. And so it's just really important to understand where he is because we just miss all that. Even reading Acts 18, you're not going to see all that. But you go read First and Second Corinthians, you see a lot of it because what did they deal with in the church in Corinth? Immorality all the time. Well, why did they deal with that? Because that's what they knew. I mean, that was their culture. They didn't know anything else. And so it was hard to pull that out of them and even to pull that out of the church. And it even spilled into the worship of God. I mean, go read it. Go read 1 Corinthians 11 when we get basically what Paul tells us about the Lord's Supper and different things. All of that comes from this because of what Corinth was. And so it's going to be really important as we read this because it's just an incredible, incredible chapter with what God does here. And not only what God does here in Corinth, but what God does for us 2,000 years later. So I'll share that a little bit. But let's just start reading, and we'll just kind of go through it. And so look there, chapter 18, and we'll start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So this is where he first meets Aquila and Priscilla. And you're going to see them throughout the rest of the Bible. This is what it says. They had left Italy, so basically Rome. They had left Rome when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Okay, now that's kind of an innocuous statement to us. We don't think that's a big deal, but that's a pretty big deal. And let's just talk about it a second. Now, this is historical. This happened somewhere around A.D. 49, A.D. 50, where Claudius the Caesar at the time basically said, I'm sick of you Jews, get out of here. So why do you think he said that? Why would he have deported all Jews from Rome? Okay, well, let's just think about 
a Jew, Jewish mindset compared to a Roman mindset. Okay, how many gods did a Jew have? Okay, we have one true God, right? That's pretty substantial from an Old Testament perspective. One true God. Okay, in Rome, how many gods were in Rome? We have no idea. I mean, hundreds, thousands, whatever. But who was the one God that everybody had to bow down and worship? Caesar. Okay, so old Claudius there didn't like it when he wasn't worshipped. And because he wasn't worshipped, it just was a constant turmoil and Jews were always stirring up trouble because they wouldn't bow down and worship Caesar. Now you even see this in Jesus' day in Israel and in Jerusalem. There was always contention between the Romans and the Jews. And one of the reasons they were able to basically blackmail Pontius Pilate into convicting Jesus was because of all this turmoil that had gone on. Pilate had to come in and squelch a rebellion, basically, a Jewish rebellion, because they were rebelling against Rome. So Jews all over the world hated the occupation of Rome, hated it, because of what it mandated and did to them from even a worship perspective. Okay, so now where does this become important in the book of Acts and even in Christianity? Well, who do you think are always tied to the Jews? Christians, of course, because where did Christianity come from? Started in Jerusalem, right? Okay, so there's always a tie there. Okay, so later on, when Rome starts persecuting Christians, there was some background to that. And it started because of their hatred for the Jews. And they just tied the two together. And guess what Jews helped with? The persecution. Because it made it easier on them. They got to have basically a scapegoat who were the Christians. And their life became easier. And so this is very important later on in Christianity. Especially in Rome and the Roman Empire. And so don't just glaze over that like it's nothing. So... Priscilla and Aquila were living in Rome, probably outside Rome somewhere. They got kicked out, so where did they go? They went to Corinth. And what did they go to Corinth to do? To work. They had to have a job. You got to eat, right? You got to have a job to eat. Well, you don't in America, but you should. Okay, so this is what happens. They had left when Claudius Caesar deported them from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was. Okay, now this is what's interesting. We never get to see Priscilla and Aquila come to Christ. We know they come to Christ. But how do you think they came to Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul. So Paul somehow meets them in the city of Corinth. And there's, these verses are real short, but this is a long time. You're going to see that in a minute. This is a long time. So he meets them. They have something in common, which is a job, and they start working together, and Paul starts living there, and he shares the gospel with them, and they come to faith in Christ, and they continue to work together. Now, the job of tent maker, it basically means a leather worker is kind of what it is. Okay, so what do you think they made tents out of in this day? Out of leather. And so they would do leather work, and some of that would be tents. And so remember where they are. They're in Corinth, which is bukoodles of money. So they probably did pretty well. But the Apostle Paul had to do this. Why? To preach the gospel. Because Paul liked to eat, just like you and I like to eat. And so for him to eat and live and have an opportunity to stay in Corinth and share the gospel, he had to work. Okay, now this is important because I think a lot of times when we talk about missions, we think of missions as a job of a missionary. Well, guess what? 
You're a missionary if you haven't been called to be a true missionary. You're still a missionary because you are to leverage wherever God has placed you, work-wise, family-wise, whatever it is, you're to leverage that for the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what the Bible talks about. There are very few missionaries in the world per capita, but there are a whole lot of Christians in the world, right? So the gospel should be going forth a whole lot more than it is. But for whatever reason, we see that as a different class of people. And, oh, they share the gospel and they do the work of the gospel. And we just sit back and we'll pray for them. We'll help fund it. No, you're the ones to do the work of the gospel. Now, are they called out for a special task? Yeah. Am I called out to do something different than you? Yeah, but you're still called out. And you leverage whatever God has given you. And you leverage for Jesus Christ and for his glory and for his kingdom. And so Paul did that. And why did he have to do that? Because he was all alone and he didn't have any other way to eat. Remember, Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're still away. And so he's there by himself. So that's how he stays there is he makes tents. But this is what he does on verse 4. It says, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. Now, remember, this is just Paul's pattern. Everywhere he goes, everything he does up until this point, what does he do in every city? He looks for a synagogue first. Why? Because there is some common ground there. And so Paul was a Pharisee. He was basically a rabbi. He knew exactly what they were going to do in the synagogue. And he used that. He leveraged that so that people, he could share the gospel there. So that's what he did. And he did that here in Corinth. Now, verse 5 is important because it says, and after... Silas Timothy came down from Macedonia, and then Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. So when they finally get there, Timothy and Silas and Luke, what did that do for the Apostle Paul? That freed him up. And now Paul didn't have to make tents, and now Paul didn't have to do leather work. What could he do? He could do what God put him on this earth to do, preach the word with all his time. That's all he did was share the gospel, preach the word of God. That's what he did. So think about the people that travel with Paul on these missionary journeys. They're very important because it freed up his time to be more inclusive with the gospel just so that that's all he's doing. He's just exclusively sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is how he did it. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to preach to the Gentiles. Okay, now again, this is just one verse, one sentence. But it's a really important sentence. Because not only does this kind of shift Paul's focus and shift how Paul does missions and missionary work, If you know the story of Jesus, this is really important. Okay, now look at specifically what Paul says there. When he's opposed in the synagogue, he says this, Your blood is upon your own head. Okay, do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate? And four or five, well, five times by this point, Pilate had tried to release him to free him. And each time, the crowd would shout back what? Crucify, crucify, crucify. 
So finally, Pilate's kind of at his wit end because they basically blackmailed him and said, if you don't do what we want, you're no friend of Caesar. And basically telling Pilate, we're going to blackmail you. And if you don't convince him, if you don't crucify him, we're going to tell Caesar that there was a king in Jerusalem that you did nothing about, and you're going to die, buddy, because that's what Caesar's going to do to you. And so Pilate's standing, he's sitting actually on top of the bema, the judgment seat, and he calls for a slave to bring a basin of water. And the slave brings a basin of water. And in some type of bowl, he pours that water. And basically all Pilate does is take his hands and he dips it in that water and washes them. And what does he say? I'm innocent of this man's blood. But the chief priest yells something back. Do you know what he says? That's fine. Let his blood be on us and our children. Okay. Why do you think Paul says this here in Acts 18? Up until this point, what had Paul done every time he went to a new city? He'd go to a synagogue. And he would start there with the gospel. Now he would work his way out of there, but he would always start there, right? He would share the gospel with the Jews first because it was just common ground. Okay, what happened in every synagogue he went to? Some people were saved, some people were lost, but he was always opposed, right? He was always opposed, always persecuted in the synagogue because Jews didn't want to hear it. Why did they not want to hear what he's preaching? It was offensive to them. Go read 1 Corinthians 2, he says it. It was offensive to them. It's foolishness to them. Why? Because he's preaching the cross of Christ. And why do you think the chief priest were so just incredibly, incredibly insistent that Jesus hang on a tree. Because of Old Testament law, if you hang on a tree, you're cursed. And what do you think Jews believed about Jesus? There's no way he can be the Messiah. He hung on a tree. He hung on a tree. And so it was foolishness to them. So they opposed the Apostle Paul. And now finally, Paul's like, okay, you get what you asked for, basically. Your blood is on your own head. And so what did the chief priest, what did Caiaphas do when he said those words back to Pontius Pilate? He cursed his people. I mean, he was the leader of the Jewish people. He was the one that would go in to the Holy of Holies every year and sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. And guess what he would do with the blood? He would pour it out for the sacrifice of sins. And now what's he saying when he says to Pontius Pilate, let his blood, Jesus' blood, be on us and our children. He's cursing himself. And he's cursing the children of God. And many, many Jews were cursed because of that. Some came to faith, but the majority never did. And so these words are really important. Because after this, does Paul take the gospel into the synagogue? He takes it to who? The Gentiles. So this is a really important statement, not only in Christianity, but in the book of Acts. Yeah, David, do you have a question? 
Oh, you, is it time already? No, it's not. Good night. I had a whole lot more to share. Oh, well, David cut me off. I do have to go and share. But oh, well, I'll give you a prayer. I'll give you really quick. I'll give you a little hint of what we're going to talk about when we come back on the 10th. When you think about the Apostle Paul, do you think about someone who's afraid? I mean, I don't. I think about somebody who's brash, who will speak in any situation, stand up to anybody in any circumstance. That's not always who Paul was. So just one verse. Let me read it to you. Verse 9. Just look down there real quick. It says, One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Now why did the Lord have to come to Paul in the middle of the night and tell him not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. Why did the Lord have to come to Paul in the middle of the night and say, Speak up! Because his mouth was closed. So Paul ain't too much different than us, right? And so we're going to look when we come back first of the year at that statement and how that statement changed a lot of lives. And it probably changed yours without you even knowing it. So you got to wait till the first of the year to find out how. Okay. Thank you.